0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the Transcend Human podcast. It is great to be with you. Again, another sunny Monday morning here in Southern California, January 24th, 2022. As I said, welcome back to the podcast. And more specifically, um, we are in a series called Conscience Driven Therapy. So welcome back. Uh, This is week three. So If you've missed out on week one and week two, I would really encourage you to go back and make sure you have those two under your belt. It'll help explain a lot as we keep moving here uh, in the series. So before we get started today, before we really dive into the content, I have something fun, some fun news I want to share. So this week we launched the official Transcend Human Patreon page. Now, for those of you who haven't heard of Patreon... Uh, it's basically a membership platform for creative people, uh, and it makes the following things possible. So it allows creatives to receive support and/or to get paid for their work, and it also allows fans to be part of a kind of a smaller community around the topic and around the content, and have access to insider content that the rest of the world doesn't have. Now, when it comes to Transcend Human. I've really struggled with this for for a couple of years now, right? I mean, this is season three, and I haven't done this until season three. So on the one hand, um, you know, this is something that I feel called to do, right? So I'm going to keep recording the Transcend Human podcast, whether it makes money or not. At the same time, I've had a lot of people tell me that just because you create things like this you don't have to give it away for free. There's nothing wrong with getting paid for what you do. I mean, if you wrote a book, would you just put it out there for free and let anyone who wants it have it? If you recorded a music album, would you make it available online for free? No, not usually. Everybody understands that people who write books, people who make music, people who um, create movies or TV shows, you know, they all get paid for their art, right? However, we tend to see things differently when it comes to people who design things, people who write blogs, people who have podcasts or even YouTube channels. Um, So somehow there's like this assumption that content like this is different, that it should be free. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're saying, not so fast, not so fast, Daryl. There are podcasters and YouTubers making a crap ton of money. And you'd be right. At some point, usually after giving a lot of your stuff away for free, you reach a point where monetization is possible. Now, this usually happens when the platform you're on starts to view you as an influencer, right? Somebody who can actually make them money. So think Instagram influencers, YouTubers, TikTokers, people like this on these platforms, and most of them have a lot of followers. So I'm not going to say that they're in the millions, but hundreds of thousands of followers. And having that base followers, having that many people following their accounts makes it possible for them to make money off of the platform that they're on. Now, this is the new normal, right? This is the new formula that social media platforms have made possible. And I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm not saying that the people who came up with the technology or the ideas are out to harm society in some way. It's just technology. It's just platforms, ideas, and systems that people can choose to use or not. At the end of the day, it's society who decides what blows up and what doesn't, right? Who's an influencer and who's not? Influencers are a direct reflection of the culture they live in. So the only reason that an influencer exists. Is because they have something the culture is willing to pay for, um, or maybe something the culture is willing to watch or follow on social media. This is what rises to the top. These are the people who make the money off of those platforms. We only have ourselves to blame for what our culture finds popular. So, all that to say, I was a little, a little too much there on that topic. But I'll, I'll get off my little uh, egg crate uh, and I'll. I'll just follow up with that to say that I didn't set up a Patreon account back in 2020 uh, when we first launched Transcend Human, uh, maybe because making money at the time really wasn't my goal, right? It It wasn't really the main thing I was trying to do. Really, I wanted to get content out there into the world. That was my main goal. And I mean, I knew that that was Patreon or other platforms are are really the way that podcasters and bloggers and uh, people on social media, uh, it's one of the platforms that people use to take their their ideas or their art to the next level and to actually get paid for what they do. So I knew it existed. Again, I'm just saying that at the time that really wasn't the first thing on my mind. Um, But if I'm being completely honest, there were many times at the beginning where I thought to myself, I really wish this was something that I could get paid to do. I mean, if only this was my full-time job, think of the impact it could have if I had more time to spend on it. And on some level, I knew that the only way that this would ever happen was one, if there was a way for people to support the cause, or two, if there was an actual physical product or service that I had to sell. So this is really the first step in that direction. So when when we started the Conscience Driven Therapy series, uh, I started to realize that this might be the time to create a Patreon account because I knew that there would be additional content, content that some of the listeners may want, right? There's no way that I can provide every single thing to do with Conscience Driven Therapy in a 45-minute podcast episode. And there are additional resources like therapy tools, exercises, process documents, Things like that that I think other people might find helpful. So this really turned the corner for me in coming up with the whole idea to start a Patreon page and potentially offer some of those additional resources on the side. So like I said, it launches this week, and I encourage you to check it out if you have time. Uh, The easiest way to find it is to go to the website, TranscendHuman.com, and just click the button at the top that says Join Us. Uh, it's in the menu. There's another little blurb down, halfway down the homepage um, that will get you where you need to go. But simply put, Patreon is a way that you can support the show, help keep us on the air, right? There's three different levels of support. And um, by choosing one of those levels, you help to offset the costs to produce the host and host the show for the upcoming years ahead. Um, and then second, all levels of content or all levels of support rather, come with behind the scenes access to the additional content. So this includes insider information, additional resources like the, the conscience-driven therapy tools that we talked about, and just for ongoing conversations about the topics that we cover. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, uh, head on over to the Patreon page after this episode and sign up, all right? Join us, join this new community of people that are interested in transcending the human condition together. Okay, enough of that. Let's get into our topic for today. But first, where are we? So again, the conscience-driven therapy series, that's what we're in, learning to transcend the human condition. That's our goal. And we have talked previously about uh, the fact that we are breaking things into two categories, two parts. Part one are the things that we cannot control. Part two are the things that we can control. We are in chapter three, which is the last chapter in the things that we cannot control. So the minute, uh, the minute of transparency for this week, I'm just going to call it, I didn't see that coming. Um, and I'm just going to walk through a few of the things that I didn't see coming in my own life. So when you think back on your life, there are probably things that you can point to that just came out of the blue, right? Good things, bad things, but things that you didn't plan for, things that you didn't expect. Now, some of these events made your life amazing for a short time. Some of them made your life amazing for the long haul. Um, Others made your life really, really difficult for a short period of time. And then still other things changed your life forever in a negative way. And this is pretty typical for all of us. So when I look back on my life, let's, let's see if I can fit a few of a few events into each of those four categories. So let's start with short-term positive. So um, I think one thing that just really jumps out to me is, you know, I went to school to be a therapist. So I got my MSW, worked hard to get my LCSW, spent a few years in the mental health field. that's That's the track I was on. And then at some point, um, I just started doing things on the side that had to do with web design. Um, I bought some macromedia programs like um, Flash and Fireworks and Freehand and Dreamweaver. Um, Literally installed them on my computer and just started doing tutorials on how to use these products and these programs. And over time, it just became a fun thing that I did on the side, right? I was able to do some basic design. I was able to build some websites, things like that. I did a uh, few freelance projects to make a little extra money. And at some point, the church we were going to um, realized that that I knew how to do some of those things, and they said, "Hey, why don't you why don't you come volunteer uh, for the church and and help us with our web stuff?" So I came in. I met with the communication director, and she basically handed me the keys to the kingdom and said, "Hey, anything you can do to make this website better, do it." And so for the next two years, I volunteered at that church. Um, and then eventually they saw the value in having a person on more often and available more often, and so they offered me a job to be the web director at that church. So that was a short-term positive. When I, when I made that switch from working in the mental health field to doing full-time ministry at a church doing web design, that was a short-term positive for me just because I was really stressed out. In the mental health field, I was working for a non or a for profit rather uh, company, and it was extremely stressful. Every every morning, I had to attend a meeting at nine o'clock, where the CEO grilled us about the patients that we had in the hospital, whether or not they were there appropriately. Uh, anytime we discharged a, a patient. We would get grilled as to why we discharged them. And and the CEO wanted to be 100% sure that we had used up all the insurance dollars for that person and that we didn't send them home early without using up any of their insurance dollars. So, you know, in my head, that was a little sleazy, but it's also the way that the world works. So that's what I was struggling with. And this whole job change came at the perfect time. It was a short term positive that then eventually turned into a long term positive. of of doing ministry for the next 10 to 15 years. But if I really want to talk about long-term positive, I have to go the easy route and talk about my marriage, because obviously that is one of the decisions I made back in uh, the late 1990s that has impacted the rest of my life for the better. So Tammy and I both worked at a mental health hospital. We were both doing case management And over time, we started hanging out in friend groups and then we started hanging out more and more together, just the two of us. And eventually that led to being engaged, got married in 1999, and we've lived happily ever after. Uh, Three kids, all sorts of crazy adventures and fun things. Um, But yeah, that was a long term positive in my life that is still going today. Next, short term negative. So, Um, it's not hard to look back even just a few years and remember when I was, I was working at a church as a, as the web director at the church and out of the blue, uh, I was called into my supervisor's office and he basically said, yeah, so things are changing around here. We're basically restructuring and we're going to kind of have a new focus going forward. And with that new focus, yeah, we're just, you know, we're going to have a few less positions. And so your position is going away and this other lady's position is going away. And it just is what it is. Sorry. You've basically are out of job. So that was obviously a short-term negative, an extremely negative negative. um, When you live in Southern California and the socioeconomic stresses are the way they are, um, losing a job is not a fun thing. So we eventually worked through it. I started some freelance stuff, eventually got another full-time job, and we made it through that negative period of time. But again, it was an extremely negative thing that happened in a very short period of time. Now, long-term negative. Um, I think I talked last week about finding pornography at a young age. Uh, That definitely turned out to be a long-term negative not so much that I'm still struggling the way I did back then, but more that it just, when when it becomes such a big deal in your life for a period of time, those effects linger for the rest of your life. And so even though I may say now that I'm doing much better, at the same time, it's still part of my story. It's still part of, my, of who I am and, and what I have to think about and fight against every day of my life. So that's one. But an even bigger one is probably when, you know, a loved one passes away. And so I just want to talk for a few minutes about my wife's mom, uh, Cindy, and her passing. It was back back when we first started dating. Um, Cindy had been through cancer a number of times. Um, and this final time, it just wasn't going away. And all of the treatments that they were trying weren't working. Um, and so I still remember, um, you know, working through it with my wife and, and going and hanging out, um, with Cindy toward the end to the point where at at some point I remember flying up to Minneapolis, Minnesota and, um, being there in the hospital the last week, um, before she passed very difficult time for my wife, obviously, but for me too, you know, I had, I had dealt with that maybe once before in my life. Um. And I don't think that I was really close enough to the person at the time to where it had the impact on me that it did this time. Uh, But this was real and it was in your face and it was, you know, within that circle of family that it just made it a very difficult thing. So obviously that happened. That was a kind of a short-term event that happened. But obviously there is a long-term effect that that has on, on Tammy, on me, on our family. Uh, On our kids, our kids still look back and want to know, what was grandma like? You know, tell us more about Nana, that sort of thing. So there you go. Short-term positive, long-term positive, short-term negative, and long-term negative. And I'm sure if you look back at your life, you could place all sorts of events into those four categories as well. But for today, um, we're actually going to focus on the last two. So the negative events that we experienced in our past. And these are events that we may have some level of control over back then, but once they happened, we lost that control. And now we're left to deal with the consequences. And we'll talk more about that here in a minute. But chapter three of Conscience Driven Therapy is there were landmines and minefields along the way. Uh, We're going to break it into three parts again this week. Number one is defining landmines and minefields. Number two, landmines and minefields come in many colors. And finally, receiving the Purple Heart. So number one, defining landmines and minefields. So today we're going to look at the negative events from our past, and we're going to use a military illustration. So in war, there are soldiers, armored vehicles, tanks, planes, ships, guns, all things that we can see and deal with. But there's another thing in war. There are hidden dangers, things like landmines and minefields. So, these are less visible implements of war, right? And it's a perfect illustration for some of the negative events in our past for a few reasons. First, because they're hidden. So, we don't even realize sometimes the danger we're in until it's too late. Number two, when triggered, they can be devastating. And number three, the more we learn about them, the better chance we have of surviving them. Now, each is unique so let's spend a few minutes defining each one starting with landmines so for the sake of this illustration we're going to view a landmine as a one-time negative event from our past now obviously before it happened to us it was in the future which is an important thing to understand because there may still be landmines coming in our future all right we're going to talk a lot about the past today but keep in mind that these things are still future As well. So, as we work through this episode, we are looking backward. We're looking at the landmines that we experienced in our past. And these landmines can come in two different varieties. The first are the landmines that happened to us. And the second are the landmines that we may have helped bury in the ground. Now, at the end of the day, if the landmine goes off, it really doesn't matter which type it is, right? It still explodes, it still causes damage but there are some really interesting differences between the two situations. So let's use an example of the first one. So landmine that happened to us. Let's say that we are hit by a drunk driver out of nowhere, right? This is an example of a landmine that happened to us. Obviously this is life altering. We may have a serious medical injury. It could change our life forever. But if you look back at that incident, you tend to focus on the event itself and how bad it was and how angry we were at the driver, right? The drunk driver, or maybe even God for allowing it to happen in the first place. Whatever the case, most of our anger will be outward focused. Now, let's look at an example of something that we may have helped cause. So let's say back in the day, we decided to have an affair. We got caught and our partner left us. We find ourselves divorced and our relationship with our kids is never the same again. In this this situation, we can still look back and get angry at the event itself, and we can even be angry with God if that helps for some reason. But in this scenario, we're the ones to blame, right? We helped bury the landmine. So when it blew up in our face, we have to come to grips with the fact that we were part of that situation. We helped cause that situation to happen. And in this scenario, there will be inward-focused anger, anger at ourselves for our behavior. See the difference? It's subtle, but very important when we deal with the outcomes of these scenarios. Okay, next let's talk about minefields. So in war, a minefield is simply an area where there are numerous landmines buried. So a good example of this is the DMZ or what we call the demilitarized zone. It's a strip of land between North and South Korea. I think it's like 160 miles wide or long and two and a half miles wide. So it's a really huge chunk of land, right? And this strip of land is covered in landmines, at least at the beginning. They've done a lot of work to remove some of them, um, but in its original state, the DMZ was a minefield, and the whole purpose was to keep people from going back and forth over the uh, the border from north to south or from south to north. So, what does this have to do with our past? Well, if a landmine is a one-time negative event from our past, then a minefield is a group of landmines, right, or a pattern of landmines that impact us in some way or another. And just like landmines minefields come in a few varieties as well. So there are minefields that were created by other people, and then there were minefields that we may have helped create as well. So similar to the landmines, let's look at examples um, of those two different kinds of minefields. So first example, a childhood filled with physical abuse by a parent. So this is a minefield we did not create. It wasn't our choice. For some reason, it just happened to us. We were forced to walk through that minefield with multiple landmines going off over time, right? But it was not our fault. It was not our doing. Second example, getting caught up in an addiction that we can't seem to kick. So this is a minefield as well, but it's one that we created, right? It's one that evolved over time due to our choices and addictive behavior, and every now and then we hit a landmine, right? We get a DUI. Uh, we lose a driver's license. A spouse leaves us. We lose a job. And the landmines just keep going off. So that's the basics behind line, or landmines and minefields. Simple definitions and a simple difference, right? A landmine is a one-time negative event in our past, and a minefield is a group of landmines from our past. Okay. Number two, landmines and minefields come in many colors. So now that we've defined what we're talking about, let's get a little more specific. So each of us has been through negative events in our lives, right, events that happened to us and events that we may have participated in a bit. And in both scenarios, there was an explosion, something blew up, and we experienced pain, suffering, and trauma on some level. And whether we admit it or not, that trauma isn't something we fold up put in a suitcase, and just store in the garage. It's right there with us all along, and it follows us throughout our lives. It bubbles up sometimes, right, into unhealthy negative emotions. It impacts how we think. It impacts how we behave. Uh, it impacts, or actually it helps define our worldview, right? It sets boundaries sometimes, a lot of times unseen boundaries, as to how deep we'll go in our future relationships. Uh, it may impact how we view ourselves and what level of self-acceptance we have, and the list goes on and on. Trauma is one of those things that's just now being fleshed out. It's an an area of study that is just exploding right now, um, but it's not. I don't think it's even fully fleshed out. As I was researching this episode, I found a good example of this. So I found a website called Trauma Research Foundation, and I headed over to the about page, and sure enough, it literally was started in 2018. Now, I'm not saying that that's when trauma research started. Um, You know, this, this website is made up of a group of clinicians, and those clinicians may have been studying trauma for years, but the foundation itself has only been around for a few years. And I think this is a really good illustration of where we're at in the field of study when it comes to trauma. We're just now coming to grips with the fact that people experienced trauma in their past in a variety of ways, and that this trauma is carried with them throughout their lives, causing various levels of disturbance along the way. Everything from a feeling of low-level sadness to feeling like life isn't worth living anymore. Now, the DSM-5 includes a variety of mental health diagnoses related to trauma or stress. Uh, According to traumadissociation.com, here are the main ones that are listed. Disinhibited social engagement disorder, reactive attachment disorder, acute stress disorder, and post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, back when I was in school, the big focus was on the last two. So you had acute stress disorder and PTSD. The acute stress disorder was a more short-term reaction to a traumatic or a stressful event. So let's say something really bad happened to you, like a car accident or something like that. If you started experiencing symptoms and they lasted for around 30 days or less, that would be called acute stress disorder. But it's still a disorder because you're experiencing pretty significant symptoms in those 30 days. Next, post-traumatic stress disorder is basically the big brother acute stress disorder. So PTSD is a much longer lasting reaction to trauma, and it can have a much more devastating impact on your life. We tend to associate PTSD with military veterans, right? Coming back from war, uh, veterans who experienced terrible things, traumatic things in in the field of battle. However, we've come to understand that PTSD can occur for all sorts of reasons, right? Uh, being involved in a serious car accident, uh, going through childhood abuse, being in a natural disaster of some sort, or witnessing a mass shooting. Each of these situations provide a level of trauma that can lead to symptoms of PTSD. All that to say, trauma is a very real thing, no matter how big of a role it plays in your life right now. And to pull it all together, this trauma is often a direct result of the landmines and the minefields that we walked through or are still walking through today. So let's get really specific now. So let's talk about some landmines and minefields that people walk through in their life, some basic ones. Obviously, there's no way to cover all of them, but we can walk through a few examples in each category just so that we're all on the same page. So let's start with landmines, and we'll talk about landmines that happened to us, so these these are things like a serious car accident, physical assault, sexual assault, rape, going through natural disasters, uh, parents getting a divorce, death of a loved one, witnessing somebody else going through one of these things. Next, we have landmines that we helped create. So a car accident, a serious car accident where we were the drunk driver, uh, maybe an overdose due to a worsening addiction serious accident due to extreme or risky behavior, Uh, maybe a divorce or the breakup of a family due to our behavior, being assaulted after placing ourselves in a risky situation. So for example, visiting a drug house and not having the money to pay the dealer when you're in the throes of an addiction. Next up, we have minefields that were out of our control. So these are things like ritualistic abuse that we suffered as a child, ongoing physical, sexual, or emotional abuse by a caregiver, neglect, extreme poverty, food insecurity as a child, uh, being raised in an unsafe environment, living with systemic racism, having a parent with an addiction, attending a school where violence occurred daily and little learning took place, uh, maybe having a severe medical condition, or having a genetic me- mental health condition like schizophrenia. All minefields that were out of our control. And then finally, minefields that we help create. So any any form of addiction, alcoholism, drug addiction, gambling addiction, um, prison time due to illegal behavior, poor anger management, which leads to legal problems, uh, hanging out with the wrong crowd being around unsafe people, pursuing extramarital relationships, which lead to affairs, which lead to loss of a marriage or family. Again, these are just examples in each category. Thinking that we can list every possible scenario would be an exercise in futility for sure. But the examples are good, right? Because they help us flesh out the types of things that we go through in life, and not just during childhood, but as young adults and as we go throughout our life. So, these are things that can cause everything from low levels of trauma all the way to extreme debilitating trauma. The important thing that we take from this section is this we've all experienced landmines and minefields to varying degrees, of course, but we've all been through them. And we've all carried that trauma from these negative events with us. The trauma still impacts us, it can be very subconscious or it can be overt. And it's also important to understand that we're not out of the woods as grown adults. There will continue to be landmines and minefields in our future. Now, this is the perfect time to stop and talk about our first conscience-driven therapy therapy tool. So I put together a tool called the Landmines and Minefields Inventory. Uh, and this tool basically walks you through a set of questions and self-evaluation processes that when completed will help you to see these things in your past. So when you're done, you'll have a list of all of the major negative life events that you walked through to date. And if you're honest with yourself, you should also have a pretty good idea uh, what level of involvement you had in those events. So you should be able to categorize them into things that happened to you and into a category of things that you may have participated in, or you may have encouraged or caused to happen. So this tool will be available this week on the Transcend Human Patreon page uh, that we talked about at the beginning. All right. Number three, receiving the Purple Heart. So most people have heard of the Purple Heart right? Originally called the Badge of Military Merit. Um, It was instituted by George Washington back in 1782. And it's an award that is bestowed upon a soldier wounded in battle. It's our oldest military award still presented to American service members. It's pretty cool. And I really love this illustration for this reason, because first of all, it matches up perfectly with our topic for this week. So we're using the whole military illustration of landmines and minefields but two, because it also illustrates the first step in healing from things that tripped us up in life, the negative life events that harmed us in some way and may have taken us out of the game. So let's kind of walk through this um, and, and go through another illustration. I'll just call it the life cycle of a soldier. So... Let's pretend that there's a young high school graduate who feels called to a life of service. So he or she marches down to the local recruiters office and signs up for the army. They go through the following steps. They take a test called the ASVAB. Uh, they take a physical exam. They meet with a counselor. They take an oath of enlistment. And then they report to basic training. Basic training, also called boot camp, uh, is a 10-week intensive training session, which includes physical fitness, what I would call indoctrination, Um, but basically all you need to know about the army, its core values, and what it means to be a soldier. Next, you are given the tools you need to become a soldier. So combat training, teamwork training, weapons training, all of those things. And then in the last two to three weeks, you have advanced training in marksmanship, convoy operations, urban warfare, and field training. And at the end of basic training, you graduate. Then you're assigned to a base somewhere in the U.S. or around the world, you receive additional training, and you're now officially part of this machine called the U.S. Army. Now, bear with me. I know I'm going through a lot of detail here, but it's only because I find it fascinating. Uh, Back when I was in high school, I thought seriously about joining the Air Force. I had this dream to fly planes. A lot of my friends did, too. we used to talk about it all the time, talk about joining the military, getting our training and then someday transitioning to fly private jets or commercial planes. At some point I decided against it, but a few of my friends did go into the military and I'm so proud of them for doing it. Later in life, my brother joined the military. Uh, He did his initial time and then I think he reenlisted once or twice after that before ending and leaving military life. More recently, his son, my nephew, joined the Army and is currently serving on the East Coast. And more recently, my daughter's boyfriend serves in the Navy. Uh, He's what we call a NUKE, which is short for uh, a Navy officer who works on the nuclear power plants on the ship. He's serving right now on the USS Lincoln, a large aircraft carrier out of San Diego. So because of this, I've spent a fair amount of time talking to people about the military and researching the process in part to understand what a soldier goes through, but also because there's that part of me still that wishes that I could have been part of it myself. At any rate, on with the illustration. So the soldier is now an official part of the U.S. Army. He or she is stationed at a base, and eventually they are called into active duty, and they are sent on what's called a tour of duty. And during this tour, let's say it's in the Middle East somewhere, or it's in the South Seas, I don't know, um but at some point they encounter actual combat so it's no longer training or testing or practice scenarios these are real weapons real bullets and yes real landmines and minefields so one day on a short mission into a secluded area of the combat zone the team encounters heavy fire and our soldier takes a bullet in his or her shoulder they return to base and they're taken to medical where they're patched up if it's something they can recover from quickly they heal, and they continue to serve. If it's a serious injury that requires additional medical attention, they may be sent home to recover. Or if the injury is so severe that it changes their ability to serve, they may be honorably discharged from the army. But in any of these scenarios, the soldier typically receives the Purple Heart because they were wounded in combat. They put themselves in harm's way in order to protect our way of life, and that's not something to be taken lightly. However, it's important to understand that being awarded the Purple Heart is only step one in the healing process for a soldier. Yes, it's important. Yes, it's the right thing to do. Yes, they need to be recognized for their service and bravery, but it's only step one. Getting the Purple Heart doesn't mean it's over, said and done. It doesn't mean that you're fixed. It doesn't mean that life goes back to normal. In fact, it could just be the beginning. There may be additional medical attention required, and there are There may be mental health issues that creep in once you return to civilian life. And this is step two, right? Step two is the physical and emotional healing that's required in the future. And this is exactly what we need to understand about the landmines and minefields that we walk through in life. We need to start looking back on our childhood, our upbringing, and some of the things that we went through as our tour of duty. During that tour of duty, we found ourselves in a few minefields, and unfortunately, we stepped on a few landmines. And that's what led us to today. That's where we are in life, wounded and in need of various levels of medical and emotional attention. Some of us may only need a band-aid, and we're good to go. Others may require surgery, but fully recover. And then there are those who don't recover, whose injuries are so severe that they just can't rejoin the fight. They aren't able to return to the level they were at prior to the injury. Everyone's tour of duty was a little different, but we all experience negative events along the way. It's just the way the life, that life works. It's what we refer to as the human condition. And if this is true, then each of us has been through things capable of producing trauma in our lives. And just like the soldier has step one and step two in the healing process, so too we have a very important step process in our healing as well. Step one is to identify our landmines and minefields. So this is very similar to receiving the Purple Heart. In order to get that medal, the recognition, a superior officer simply needs to confirm that you were injured in active combat. There needs to be proof by a medical officer that treatment was required after the injury. And if that proof is in place, you aren't recommended for the award. You are entitled to it. And so it is with us. The first step in the healing process is to determine what happened. This seems like a simple thing, right? But we all know people who are closed down about their past. Someone who makes it sound like nothing bad ever happened in them in their past. Uh, maybe it's because they've never done the hard work to really understand how their past affected them. Uh, maybe they haven't defined some of those negative events from their past as being traumatic. So that's where we need to start, doing a ruthless inventory of the things that happened to us in our past. The things that we that happened to us uh, or the things that we may have participated in ourselves. Again, we have that tool I talked about that can help us identify those things called the Landmines and Minefields Inventory. And again, it'll be on the Patreon page later this week. Step two, dealing with our trauma. So now that we have everything defined, we know what we're dealing with. We've all heard phrases like, the more you know. Knowing is half the battle. Uh, You have to name it to claim it. You have to know it to own it. You have to define the win in order to achieve the win. These are all very similar, right, in that there needs to be a target before we can start shooting. But once the target is in place, we're ready for the next step, which in this case is to deal with the trauma that we've experienced. Sometimes we refer to this stuff as baggage, right? Or we say things like, that person has issues, or she's a little unstable, or he just can't seem to keep it together. But for the sake of consistency, we're just going to call it trauma. We're going to allow that to be the blanket that covers all of the negative events from our past and the impact that it's having on us today. Now, we aren't going to go into great detail on this process, but that's okay because we'll get there. Conscience-driven therapy is that process, or at least it's meant to be. So chapters one through three have been all about the things that we cannot control, the things that happened to us in our past. But next week, and then for the rest of the book, we're going to talk about the things that we can control. Sound familiar? Step one, define the problem. Step two, find solutions and implement them. That's our roadmap for the rest of the series. So let's land the plane this week. So we wrapped up chapter three. This is our review of things that we cannot control, Uh, things that just come standard with the human condition. In chapter one, A lot of things came before us. We talked about the controversy, the sin virus, and our unique DNA. In chapter two, we were sent in a specific direction. We talked about the people, places, and things in our past that kind of headed us in one direction or the other. And then today, we talked about the landmines and minefields in our past, the big things, the negative events that produce trauma in our lives. So this week, let's ask ourselves the following questions. Looking back on our lives, can we list the major landmines that we experienced? Did these happen to us? Did we play a role in them? Next, what were some of the minefields we walked through? Can we identify minefields that were forced on us? Things like physical, emotional, or sexual abuse, or neglect? Or were there minefields that we built for ourselves? Were there addictions, patterns of illegal behavior, or relational chaos that we seem to be uh, active participants in? And finally, what would it take for us to get the Purple Heart? Have we done a ruthless inventory of our past? Can we list with certainty the things that happened to us or what we may have actually injected into our lives in terms of trauma? And are we able to see the side effects of that trauma in our lives today? Well, that's it for the first section of the book, folks. Um, Thank you so much for joining us this week. I cannot wait for our next installment. Um, The first chapter in the second section uh, of Conscience-Driven Therapy is next week, so these are things that we can control. Uh, I hope you'll come back and join us again next week as we dive into the nitty-gritty process of healing. Chapter four is called The First Step Toward Health and Healing. So again, that's it. Have a great week, everyone. Um, Love hanging with you. Love presenting this information. Hopefully it's helping you. And hopefully as we complete this series, you'll have a massive new tool belt of, of ways to rise above the human condition. So as always, have a great week and keep transcending human.